Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Shane Eating Podcast. Doug Williams alongside Andy Martino and Keith Hernandez. I, I don't know about you guys, I got mostly, well, not mostly, all positive reviews of episode one with the three of us. The, the, one, the one note I got from a couple friends was, I think you guys set the record for the most uh, apology interruptions. Um, oh, sorry, sorry, Doug, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. So moving forward, um, let's just have a rule that you don't have to apologize if you interrupt me. It's the nature of the beast. It's Zoom. If you interrupt a thought, it's not like what I was saying was probably important. Just go ahead with your thought or opinion. That would be. I just, I just didn't want to get a bullet point of, of offenses from your agent, Doug. So I, I wanted to be extra careful. You interrupted my client on these particular occasions in the show. So it was an you know me. Caution. You know me, Andy. I'm the I'm the one to run crying to my agent that I That's was right. interrupted. Um, Mr. Prima Donna over here. Um, so once again, there's people are still tweeting me. Uh, hey, does uh, does Keith know what what show every week he's on? Because it's still a little confusing whether we're doing all three of you twice a week or one each. Um, we are doing Andy and me on Mondays and Keith and me on Thursdays. So that will be the plan going forward. We're very excited for it. And once again, please subscribe to the Shane Inning Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Um, so guys, I mean, I, I'm, I'm curious to talk to you about, we kind of spoke about covering the game in 2020, the season that will be um, on Monday. And I want to get more specific with this Mets team. Keith, you were obviously at spring training. You've now covered some uh, summer camp games and exhibitions. Um, what is one Mets player that, in your opinion, you came away from that being very impressed by and maybe predicting a big season out of in 2020? Well, there was a couple. I, I mentioned last week about Steven Matz. I think it's his time to step up. I think that he's now had two seasons in a row where he's pitched over 30 games started, and uh, he pitched at a real good second half. I think he's maturing. He's always been a guy that fights himself. I think he's getting better with that. Everybody gives up base hits. Can't be uh, angry all the time on the mound. Got to stay focused. So I think he's, I think he's ready to have a big year if he stays healthy. I think he's critical. I was also impressed with the young shortstop. Yeah, Andres Jimenez. Key. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. Just he really slick out there. Yeah, really. He's got a slick glove. Uh, unfortunately, you've got. It's going to get hard to be hard to move Rosario out of the starting position. I mean, I'm a big fan of Rosario's and that's another guy I think is ready to have really burst on the scene and have a great full season. Yeah. Andy, same question to you. I mean, you've covered, uh, you were in spring training, you've covered a lot of these uh, workouts at city field. Yeah. So who do your, your eye is primed for a big year. Yeah, I was, a, I was at a lot of the inner squads and when they started playing, I'd put my phone away and close my computer and really, really try to watch. And, uh, Dom Smith uh, showing tremendous power in the inner squads. He had a home run at the black near the apple the other day, and it wasn't the only one. Uh, so he's, he's looked really good uh, making a case for himself to really force his way into the lineup somehow, although it's going to be tricky how, to, how exactly Rojas is going to do that, but he's looked really good. Uh, Familia's looked really good, uh, which is a little bit of a surprise. Keith saw him in the televised game over the weekend, and he's, he's looked good on other occasions too. Of Batanzas, Familia, and Diaz, I've seen the three of them in person at least three times, and Familia is far and away looks the sharpest right now. 
Uh, so that's that's been a good thing. And I agree with Keith on Rosario. I had a long conversation with Gary DeSarcina, uh, first for a pregame show, and then I followed up and wrote an article about it, just about his work with uh, Rosario uh, defensively and how basically when Rosario got to the big leagues in 2018, he was a he got there because of his bat, and he was instructional league level with his glove. I mean, he had no clue what to do. Uh, Pre-pitch setup, first step, footwork. I had no idea how to read swings, all the stuff that an infielder needs to know how to do. And 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 DeSarcina thinks, who's of course the Mets infield coach, thinks that Rosario has always been dedicated hard worker. And now he's at the point where he's got some of that footwork set. So uh, those, those three, I would say, are, are looking pretty good. Hmm. Yeah, I, Keith, I, I want to ask you about Familia because I, I totally agree. He, he looks good, not just physically, but on the mound and his stuff looks electric. I mean, when you watch him have that ability to throw 98 with the sinker and then the, the table or the bottom drops off that splitter, are you seeing the guy who has dominated in the past for the Mets as their closer? Well, that remains to be seen, Doug. Um, you know, he had a very difficult year last year. He's always had kind of a very disjointed motion. He's very strong upper, particularly in his legs, and I think it's always been something that he doesn't use – in his motion doesn't he's not fluid and I think Jeremy Hefner has altered that a little bit he looks much smoother in his delivery I noticed it on the game that we did against the Yankees I asked Ron Darling about it and Ron agreed and if if, if Amelia uh with a smoother motion can be more consistent with his pitches um then he's a force because nothing's worse than a right-hand hitter against a right-hander or vice versa a lefty lefty he's a guy that can throw a real hard sinker and that is gets on your hands. That gets your attention. Uh, it, it worries you inside, which opens up for the off-speed pitch, as well as his slider. We cannot forget about his slider. He's got a good slider too. So he's going to be a big key in this ball club success. Yeah. I know you're not a pitching coach, but when you talk about his motion, are you talking about that finish, that leg kick that he sometimes has? No, I'm talking about across. the whole the whole motion. He's always been a guy that's. Uh-huh. You know, it's not like Carlton, nice and smooth, where mm-hmm. everything can go out and get, get you have no problem. When you're doing this and this and this and this and rushing your arm, it's hard to get to the same point of release where you need to be and be gotcha. consistent. That's you lose, you lose your consistency. And I see a much more fluid motion. And I think it's going to be easier on his shoulder, easier on his elbow. I think it's going to be good in so many ways for him. We'll see. One more question to Keith about what Andy said, which was Dom Smith. And again, this is going to be an aspect of 2020 that we're all going to have to get used to. The fact that pinch hitting is really going to be less of an option considering you don't have the pitcher coming up. And that was something Dom excelled at last year and was should really be given a ton of credit for because he didn't really have a role until he carved one out for himself. So Keith, I mean, you could give Dom Smith the chance to play first base while Pete DHs. I know Pete's defense has come a long way, but Dom has a better glove at the position. Would you do that? Or do you think that Pete Alonso is your superstar? You don't want to mess with his mental space, given how much pride he takes defensively at first base. Well, Dom is probably Luis Rojas's biggest problem. And the problem is to try to get him playing time. And at bats, uh, you've got Cespedes out there. If Cespedes stays healthy and is productive, you're not going to want to take him out of of the the the, uh, the DH role. 
I'm reluctant to put him out in the outfield. If he's running three-quarter speed to first base, what's going to happen on a ball in a gap? I mean, defense is so important. City Field's a big ballpark, and it also works against Dom. When you put Dom out in left field, and this is no criticism, he's not an outfielder, okay? And he doesn't move well, and he hasn't got a strong arm because he's never been an outfielder. He's been a first baseman. And he's a quite an accomplished first baseman. But unfortunately, you've got – a guy that hit 50 plus home runs uh, last year, it's going to play every day. So that's going to be what uh, an issue to get Dom in that lineup. And the DH does help, but if Cespedes comes out of the gate hot, I'm not taking him out of the lineup. Uh, now I may, I may rest him on a day game after an, uh, after a night game, but he's going to play if he's, if he's doing, if he can do what he's capable of doing, and that's going to make it hard for Dom to, to get the work Dom in the lineup. Let's say something about Cespedes as it relates to Dom there, because I know that uh, Cespedes took a couple of impressive BPs basically a week or two ago, and, and we all started thinking how good it could be. But I haven't seen over the past week anything special uh, there. We saw him get beat by Michael King's 95-96 on uh, Saturday night. Uh, that can happen, obviously, but we saw him not catch up to those fastballs. Uh, over the days I've been at City Field since, I haven't seen him uh, – make uh, hard contact that I can recall. I haven't necessarily seen every at bat he's taken. Uh, so yes, Keith, of course, if he gets out of the gate strong, then he's locked down that DH position. But if he doesn't, uh, Rojas is going to be open to using that sitting says using that role for others like, like Dom Smith. Um, so that that's a point to be made that we can't just um, not that you're not that we're doing this, but maybe some fans are just like assuming Cespedes is going to be himself. You guys talked about this a lot on the broadcast, that did he slow up and why did he slow up, lugging out that potential infield single on Saturday night. And when I asked him, I asked Cespedes himself about that when he was available a couple of days later, and he's just like, well, I busted it out of the box. And then I remember the trainers told me not to run hard, so I, I, I slowed down. And you think, well, gee, you know, that's not exactly ideal for a guy who's about to play in the regular season. So I think it remains to be seen how, how he's going to look. He's coming off a serious uh, injury, yeah. serious surgeries, and um, I, I would rather err on the side of caution with him. He's obviously going to have rust. And here's, you know, we have no crystal ball. I mean, we, we don't know if he can get the rust off. He may get off to a slow start. Um, he may not be able to catch up to a fastball. He's, you know, he's two, three years older than he was right. when he had that great second half for us. So. It all remains to be seen, but Dominic Smith provides a nice little insurance policy and he's just waiting in the wings for an opportunity. I'm waiting for Dominic to get frustrated and say, Hey, I need to go somewhere else. I want to play every day. How, how, what, how big is the gap for you, Keith, between Dom and, and uh, Alonzo defensively at first? Like if Cespedes is not performing, would you DH Pete quite a bit to, to, for the defense on Dom or, or I know Pete's improved a lot, but what do you think of that? The comparison between those two defensively? That is something I really haven't thought of because there is a different mentality to being a DH as mm -hmm. opposed to being a player out there every day. I remember reading articles uh, in the 80s and when Reggie Jackson that it was a different, a whole different mental approach by just sitting there and you only are active for four at-bats, maybe five at-bats in a game. And it's something that had to be, uh, you had to, figure out how to handle that mentally when you grow up playing every day out in the field and participating. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, Dom I, is clearly a better fielder than Pete, 
They both don't have great range, but Dom is more sure-handed. Pete's mm -hmm. very adept at, at scooping, mm -hmm. uh, but Dom is certainly is is more polished at the position where Pete makes mistakes by getting too aggressive in the hole. Dom doesn't make those mistakes because Dom's been a first baseman his whole life. So I have to say the edge defensively, obviously, is Dom right now. Yeah. So Keith mentioned Matt's earlier. And um, even back to spring training, he's going to have a bigger role in this rotation probably in the 60-game season than any of us would have predicted. Um, Stroman's out. Uh, Syndergaard's out. And that's really the big news as we're taping this podcast today is that Marcus Stroman has a, a tear in his calf. So it's going to be a matter of maybe weeks, if not months, before we see Stroman on the mound for the Mets. And so Stephen Matz is really your number two starter. And Andy, that leaves a spot in the rotation for the Mets to fill. Do mm -hmm. you think that even with how weird this season is and how trades now uh, are much more complicated than ever, is Brody going to look down that route? Or are we going to look at a David Peterson or – a Corey Oswalt to replace uh, potentially Stroman in this rotation. Trades are going to be tough. And I've talked to a few GMs this morning about what they expect from the trade deadline. And I think you have a whole bunch of circumstances that are going to make it harder than ever to make an impactful trade. Number one, even before there was a pandemic, uh, GMs are getting so much more conservative with giving up prospects. It's not like we saw a bombshell trade deadline last year. Uh, Anthony Kay for Stroman might have been the biggest – well, Granky move, but, you know, there, was, there just was not a lot of action there. Teams are, are conservative anyway. This year they can't scout the minor leagues to evaluate, get fresh evaluations of prospects that they'd be trading for. Obviously there is no minor leagues, uh, so that's going to be a problem. And, you know, the Mets don't have a ton of minor league, minor league depth or impact talent to trade. They have guys they just drafted, uh, but I don't think Brody's going to want to necessarily part with those guys for a starting pitcher rental. So I think it's going to be tough for him to do anything but rely on a David Peterson until Stroman comes back. Now, look, I saw Peterson throw uh, a couple times. Really, he threw well. One day with Allard Baird, Omar Minaya, and Brody watching from the stands, he, he, he threw very well in an inner squad, had a good slider, a curveball that was much improved from last year. Maybe he could get by as a back-end guy, but the problem is you're trying to replace ostensibly your number two in Stroman. I will say that Stroman didn't look good. Even before he got hurt, he was struggling with fastball command, leaving balls up. You still feel the loss, but I'm just saying he wasn't looking great. Yeah, uh, this, Keith, what level of concern is the rotation at right now, in your opinion? Well, this is not good news for the Mets to lose Stroman, okay? They kind of already got Syndergaard on the shelf. Uh, so now they're going to go forward with uh, two of their five starters out and – I love the, what the paper said today, week by week. Uh, calf is not a good injury. Everything, when you burst, when you're a hitter out of the box, when you're running the bases, your initial step, uh, when you're in the field going left or right, when you're a pitcher pushing off the rubber or landing on that, uh, on that leg, the calf takes it all the – that's where it all comes from. It is a tough injury. I had it in Cleveland when I was, I was 37. And uh, they brought me back in three weeks. And within the third game, coming out of the box, I, I popped it again. So then it was six weeks. And I did rehab. Went out for, for, I was out almost eight weeks. I came, uh, came back. And within a week, I did it again. And I was just shut down. Now, granted, I'm an older guy. 
but uh, and Stroman's in great shape. But it's a very delicate injury, and you're going to have to be very careful. If he hurts it again, he's not going to pitch much of the season. They're getting, what, 12 starts in 60 games, okay? I don't think he's going to – it's going to be a month, okay? He's going to have to rehab. And uh, so he's not going to he, – he's going to miss – Four or five starts. You're only going to get single digits out of him if he doesn't re-injure it. And uh, I don't know. I have not seen the young Peterson pitch. Uh, he hasn't pitched above double-A. Uh, they, he's number one pick, all that. Do they want to rush him? Uh, I don't think they will, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, and then you have Corey Oswald, who we know what he is. He's, he's a back-end guy. It is what it is. I will say, I, I thought Oswald impressed me. I mean, this weekend against the Yankees, well. he darted a couple of 92s right on the black and got guys looking. I, I hadn't seen that from him. I think he's throwing a little harder than, than he has in the past. By the way, it strikes me, Keith, I don't know if you noticed this in your answer. Andy's cat walked right in no, front of I his face. It. Now, so we are yeah. on Zoom, um, and you'll see some of these now. video clips, but you won't, you won't see the entirety of this. But – yeah, I've seen Haji come into shots while talking to Keith on Zoom, and now I've seen Andy's cat. I, I'm not. I'm the only non-cat owner in this in this uh, this group. That's uh, you get with, so much. You got to get with the thoughts. program. <laughs> I'm such a cat. I've become a cat guy in my old age. You don't have to. You, you hang out with them when you want to, and then and then they want to be no. Like, they hang out with you when they want to. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's that's well said. <laughs> Are they, are they like really, dogs. it's just really not any in much work to have a cat, like I compared to having a dog. Oh, compared to having a dog. No, it's no a, dogs like having a child. Are you kidding? Yeah. It's a like, a, it's like having a child that, uh, that doesn't give you the, the same emotional rewards. I don't understand. It's like the care of a child, but it's a dog. And I, I, I really don't get it. Oh, it seems very confused by that point. Are, Dogs are great. They, I, I, mean, I love dogs, but they are they require a lot more work than cats. I'm a cat guy. It's an emotionally distant relationship, which may suit me, I guess, apparently. <laughs> see, I love the feeling of coming home to a dog who's excited to see you. I know cats show it in a different way, in their own way, but a dog wagging its tail when you walk in the door, there's really nothing like it. Um, okay, so we're not going to do a formal predictions segment just because this season's so strange uh it's really hard to to even predict but what's one thing that you guys think is going to happen uh it could be about the game it can be about the Mets it can be about the shortened season whatever you want Andy we'll start with you one prediction for the for baseball in 2020 I think a perennially downtrodden team in the San Diego Padres are going to make a lot of noise in the National League I think that is the surprise team they've got just loads of organizational high-end pitching. They have Manny Machado. If Tommy Pham comes back, that was a big bat to add for them. So I think when the Mets are looking at being a wild-card team, although now there's going to be like 30 wild-card teams, so everyone gets one. I believe by the end of today, we'll probably have a 16-team playoff field. But that aside, I think the Padres are a, a real team to watch in the National League uh, and a competition for the Mets to grab uh, one of those playoff spots. Keith, what do you think? Um, I think Cincinnati's going to make some noise. They went out of the, they went out and made a lot of moves. Very surprising what they did over the winter. 
a very out of character, a, a low market team. Um, I like everything they did. Um, they're in a tough division. Everybody is kind of saying the East is the best division. I, they're uh, probably more, the East is, has more uh, tougher teams, but the teams, the upper tier teams in that central are quality teams in Milwaukee, St. Louis, and now, uh, and the Cubs, as well as now you can throw Cincinnati in the mix. So I think that uh, Cincinnati is my sleeper team. That's a good one. Okay. Yeah, I, I have two, and I want to get your guys' takes on the second one. The first one would be, to Keith's point, I think the East, all those teams are going to beat each other up. I mean, I, I, to my count, there are eight teams who may be competitive between the two divisions in the AL and NL East. I don't know if you're going to get no wildcard teams. I don't know if you're going to get four just because, you know, I could see the Braves, Phillies, Mets, Nationals all around 500. I could see the Red Sox, Rays, Yankees, and Blue Jays all around 500. I really don't know what's going to happen. Um, and the second one would be that I think we're going to, if hopefully we get through the entire season, um, I think we're going to end up looking back on the shortened season, potentially interested in shortening seasons moving forward. Now, I am a traditionalist. I like 162. I like it the way things are. But I do think there will be something to the fact that during a 60-game season, you feel the weight of each game a little bit more. And, Keith, I know that you are a traditionalist as well and that the idea of playing 60 games in a season is not preferable. But do you, do you foresee there being some additional interest to games that – mathematically speaking, matter more than they usually do? Well, I think there certainly was going to be a more sense of urgency uh, in the season. Um, there's so many variables here. You're, you're, not, you're starting the season with players that have missed a lot of time. And like I've always said, there's no substitute to playing out there in nine innings and building up stamina. And now you're going to start. We've got this heat wave. Uh, you're starting in, in this like upper 90 degree weather. How are players going to weather this, for lack of a better word? Injuries are such an, uh, you know, just the roll the dice. Um, the teams that have the most depth, I guess, in their taxi squads are the team that stays healthy. But certainly with 60 games, uh, what did Ronnie say? He thought 35 wins would get you in the postseason. Now, possibly 16 teams you could probably maybe go even maybe close to 30 uh so uh you want to get off to a good start if you get off to a bad start it's going to be a long it's going to be a difficult climb there's no question there'll be a lot of a lot of importance on these early games well first of all doug is an employee of a regional sports network uh advocating for fewer regular season games is not in your interest or mine. I know you've told me that on the show before. I'm just saying there's going to be like eight teams separated by we half need, a game in mid August. That's going to be pretty exciting. We need 200 games in the regular season and high <laughs> subscriber fees for all the affiliates is what we need. But no, I think the lower, I think the lowest you're going to get is going forward. You could go back to 154 in theory, if they want dramatically expanded playoffs. I like that idea. Yeah, well, it's it was I believe we still had more decades of that in history than 162, which came into play what late 50s, early 60s. Uh, so you have that potential, and 
then you can have more rounds of playoffs, which MLB likes, uh, Central MLB likes, because of the revenue that comes from those national TV contracts. So I can see it going that way, but I don't think fewer than that. Unless you want a pay cut, Doug. I think 154. You can have another tier of playoffs. That's what it's all about. Yeah. That's you know, it's all the playoff money. That's where it's at. Not only the owners, uh, the union too, and the players. Yeah, actually, my point, Andy, in bringing this up was that I, I would like to take a pay cut. So thank you for. Uh, hey, fewer uh, games, less pay for us SMY employees. That's all I'm that, saying. I, I'm remembering that during the quarantine phase of doing the living room edition of the show, uh-huh. I made that exact point, And Andy said, hey, Doug, just so you know, you're advocating to make less money. And that's. <laughs> well, uh, my That's self-interest what is on my mind. I don't know about you. Um, and, and one more a potential prediction, Mets-related, that I want to get your guys' take on. Um, where will Edwin Diaz be at the end of this season? Will he be back to where he was, uh, solidified as a closer in baseball? Or is that still going to be kind of a head-shaking move by Brody Van Wagen? And you think he redeems himself this year, Keith? I hope so. He's such a good guy, and he handled it so well, so professionally last year. What little I saw of him in spring, um, I saw him around three appearances. I didn't see anything different. So that's concerning. Um, it's, he couldn't command his slider last year, and you know, I don't care how hard you throw, major league hitters are going to hit the fastball. And I think he lost his confidence. Um, that little sharp slider that you throw over the top that has the, gives you the good bite when you throw it in the dirt all the time and you miss badly and then you make it, the pitcher makes the adjustment and you'll hang it. Then a pitcher gets kind of like, okay, I can't come here. I'm going to come more three quarters. And then he loses velocity and sharpness of break. And that's an easy pitch to track for a hitter. And that's where he got in trouble with last year is that he, dropped down and he lost that sharpness and it became more of like an airplane doing a little like this. And that for a hitter is like, you know, you shoot down, you shoot that thing down in a heartbeat. So it's all of me. It's, it's, it's fastballs there. He throws hard. It's can he command his breaking ball? We'll see. Yeah. I mean, if, if that's what you saw in, in the first spring training, Keith, then that, it is still concerning. I, I don't know. Personally, I mean, your eyes obviously sharper than mine on that. And, and I, I haven't seen him certainly like visibly dominate in any context in 2020 in any of these exhibitions or inner squad situations. Uh, he hasn't been slapped around either. Uh, so I guess we'll see. Confidence is something that's very hard to. Uh, uh, it, it seems like an issue, but it's also how does another human being feel? A guy who we have a language barrier with, who we haven't gotten to know that well on a personal level. Very hard to predict with things like that. I obviously think his first couple appearances this year are going to be extremely uh, meaningful. And that's yes. what's going to happen. This season, the way it is now, too, where there's going to be not a lot of patience, um, more sense of urgency. This is probably not a good thing that happened, a, a good circumstance for, for, for Edwin to be in. But you know what? It's like anything else. You're a professional ball player. No one can go out in that mound and do it but you. No one can get in that batter's box and do it but you. And that's what you got to do to be make a living in this game. So go out there and give it your best shot. I'm, I'm hoping he comes through because I was really, he's really a sweetheart and uh, 
just really was a class act last year and really having, I think, one of the toughest seasons I've ever seen a closer have. Most of those home runs were sliders last year, right? He didn't really leave too many fastballs over the middle. Or am I remembering that wrong, Keith? Uh, a lot of them were sliders, but there were some fastballs in there too. It wasn't like 70-30. It was maybe 60-40. Mm-hmm. He got beat up last year. It, yeah. was, it, was, it, was, it was painful for me to watch because I just felt for him. Well, Andy, you did that Jeremy Hefner show this offseason, right? Yeah. Where we talked to him. I mean, Keith, to your point, when you ask Hefner about Diaz, the first thing he talks about in terms of their communication this offseason is getting on top of the ball, arm slot. Um, and if you want to buy stock in Edwin Diaz, talk to Jeremy Hefner about him because it really seems like he thinks – he can fix whatever went wrong last year. And when I say I use kind of head shaking as an adjective to describe Edwin Diaz, I mean, look at his season last year transcends, I think, anything that I've seen in terms of uh, home runs and strikeouts. He gave up so many home runs and he struck out such a large percentage of the batters that he faced. It's just kind of confusing to me how you can dominate one hitter. And I don't know, Keith, I mean, he doesn't seem easy to hit. To me, I mean, uh, he's throwing 100, and even though his slider may hang every once in a while, I mean, I don't know how guys are just sitting on that when you have that nastiest stuff. Well, I don't think they're sitting on it. Um, There are a million pitchers that have come down the pike with electric arms, and if you don't command that secondary pitch and a quality secondary pitch – you're going to be, you're, you're gone. You're not going to be around long. And particularly the guys that cannot, when I say command the secondary pitch is that they're wild with it. They can't get it over. And, um, you know, Koufax was that way early in his career and he, he found it. Um, but there's a lot of guys that you sit there and if the, you can get up to the plate and if that guy makes three nasty pitches to me, what he's capable of, he's going to make me look bad, but, out of 10 at bats, I'm going to get seven where I'm going to get two or three good pitches to hit. Cause he, cause he's going to make a mistake or he's going to fall behind. You know, that's the difference. You know, you're talking about uh, c- consistency. There's a million great arms out there. Yeah. I guess to your first point, Keith, I mean, if that slider's in the dirt 99% of the time, you know, not to, not to worry about it. He's coming in with the game on the line too, you know, to save the game, you know, and, uh, you know, it's not like it's in the third inning with a five run lead. You know, he's coming in to close it. Well, guys, um, again, uh, pleasure to share our airwaves with you. And again, this means that opening day is, is right in front of us. Uh, we're all happy that baseball's back and, uh, it's tomorrow as we tape this. Now the Mets get underway, uh, against the Braves. That's very exciting. And, um, so again, everybody, uh, we are coming at you this week, Mondays and Thursdays, uh, wherever you get your pod- podcast, please subscribe, uh, on Apple podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get them to the Shea anything podcast twice a week for the rest of the season with Andy Martino and Keith Hernandez. Thank you both. As always, uh, we'll talk to you next week, everybody. 